0: Thank you for listening to the Parker, D.C. Sermon Podcast. The following message is a ministry of Parker Memorial Baptist's DeArmondville campus. We aim to be biblically faithful, Christ-exalting, and God-glorifying as we preach and teach the scriptures with boldness and application. We hope you will join us in person this Sunday morning at 11 a.m. for worship celebration. For more information about Parker, D.C., visit us at www.dclivelove.com. We hope you enjoy. Thank you. If you have a Bible this morning, if you'll open your Bible, the book of Malachi. If you don't know where that's at, go to the Gospels, take a left about 400 years or a page, and you'll find the book of Malachi. We're going to be finally finishing up this series this morning, and so if you'll listen quickly, I'll get you to lunch quicker. Amen. Amen. Uh, I do need to, I guess, clarify, not apologize. I've been told not to apologize too much lately. I don't apologize, but. Uh, I have preached a little longer this series because the task has been a little bit bigger. And what I mean by that is I have taken on these minor prophets book at a time. And so we have navigated now for uh, 13 weeks or so, these minor prophets in total. And so you have to kind of give the overview before you actually land the text. And so that's taken a little bit longer, okay? And so my hope, my hope, Lord willing, is as of next week, the sermons will get a little bit shorter. Amen. Amen? I mean, I thought I'd get at least half the church saying, preach, preacher, preach, preacher, you know? All right, well, I'll preach longer. That's fine. I mean, it's like telling like, a, 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 a bulldog to sick them. I mean, come on now. I'm a preacher. That's what I do, right? So, all right. So, thank you, Jonathan. Jonathan's opposing that from the front uh, row. Uh, Malachi, let me kind of give you the the quick backdrop if you're our guest today. Uh, I basically been flying you around the island as we get up in these books and landing right in that text. And so let's just quickly fly around the island of Malachi and then we're going to jump into chapter 3 if you have that Bible open. If you don't, by the way, it'll be on the screen behind me. I just want you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you. If you're at home, grab uh, a Bible, grab a notepad. The rest of you should have worship guides and I'm going to give you some things to fill in as we go. Uh, The essentials of Malachi. Number one, Malachi's ministry was about 100 years after the people returned from exile. Remember the whole Babylonian and then Persian Empire. The return of the Jews back to Jerusalem to rebuild uh, the Jerusalem, city of Jerusalem, temple, walls, all of that. About 100 years after that and about 400 years before Christ. Okay, this is the last word of the Old Testament. Now, uh, if you have a Bible in in, in your Malachi, go ahead and flip over one page to Malachi chapter 4. I want to show you this really cool Moment here, Malachi chapter four gives us really an appropriate bookend to the Old Testament because Malachi finishes in chapter four and five. He says this: Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb or Sinai for all the people. Okay, and so all of Israel. And so he says, Remember the Torah, the Old Testament, the first five books, and all the Mosaic law. Remember all of that, and then he goes on and says. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And then we would see that, that person of Elijah the prophet again through the person of John the Baptist, okay? And so what Malachi, through inspired by the scriptures, knows is that he's really the last of the Mohicans or the last of the minor prophets, okay? And so he wraps up the law of Moses and the prophets together, Book in, we wait 400 years, and then we get Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, so we, we see this really at the end of the Old Testament uh, story. Number two, Jews were neglecting the provision of the temple and the priest. All right, so 400 year, 100 years after the, the people have come back, there is a neglect already of the people in coming to the Lord's house. More on that in a minute, okay? All right. Now, as a result, the temple was falling into disrepair. This newly reconstructed temple was being neglected, all right? And the priests, because they weren't being cared for, they were distracted and, in many ways, becoming corrupt yet again. All right, if you know human nature, it's like we have good moments. And we have bad moments, right? And it's kind of like this, this, this cycle, right? Things are going well, you know, and we're, we're being obedient to God. And then we, we fall in, in out of sin, like we fall out of a pit, right? And we begin to, to go the wrong direction, right? And then God has to get our attention. And we go back in the right direction. Needless to say, the cycle continues over and over and over again. And we find it within a hundred years in Jerusalem, the people who've come back after the exile are already falling back into the same old sinful Ways. This is human nature, okay? Again, I've already mentioned, this is the last word of the book of the Old Testament, okay? So, I want to begin with talking about this con, con, uh, the context of neglecting the, the, the temple itself. Now, uh, people have said, well, the church is not the temple. And I would argue yes and no. The, the temple is, is a, a physical place in the Old Testament, that symbolized the physical presence of God in the Old Testament. You you with me, right? It's a place that you went to. It was a religious action, but it was not just a religious action. It was a affirmation of a faith that Jerusalem and Judah and Israel had in a holy sovereign God, the God of Jacob. Right? Y'all with me, right? And so the temple was not just a religious activity. It was a reflection of their faith in Christ or faith in God. Now, for the church, we're very, very similar. You can compare the two. We, we gather today as a church. Amen? We gather today, but the church is more than just a religious thing. It is a place that we gather with the hopeful expectation of experiencing the living and active presence of the Holy God. Y'all with me, right? So church is important. Amen? So I'm gonna give you a couple right off the bat before we because it's out of context of the book of Malachi. I want you to fill in in your worship guide. Number one. Church is not just some place we go to, but a family we belong to. Amen? Church is not just some place we go to. It's more than a building. It's more than budgets. It's more than staff. It's more than programs. It's more than all of the physical things. It is a family that we choose to align ourselves with. Now, I love my family. Don't get me wrong, I love my family. But sometimes the family you choose is better than the family you got. Can I get a witness, right? Amen. You're about to spend some time with the family you got this week, right? Y'all ready? Some of y'all ain't ready yet. Church, by, by, listen, this is great. You get to align your life with people who have the same convictions, the same love for Christ, the same love of the gospel, the same love of God's word. And you get to align yourself with these people and you choose them to be your faith family. Somebody asked if the next thing we do in a minute, we'll get done here. We're going to go to our faith family Thanksgiving lunch. It's it's the family lunch, right? Because we family, right? A church is is much more than just a place to go It's a family belonging to This is what Jesus had in mind. In in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, when Jesus refers to the church long before the church was ever a thing, Jesus says, on this rock, Peter, upon your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I will build my church. Jesus was not talking about a building program. You ever ever heard a, maybe, maybe you haven't, but I have. Have you ever heard a preacher use this verse, talk about building a building? Not the same building. Not the same thing. He said, I will build my people, this this family of faith who will place their, their faith, hope, and trust in me. And the gates of hell won't prevail against that. Amen? Paul talks in Ephesians chapter 2 of the church. He said the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And so, very much that's a, the church is just like the temple in that sense. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 5 So, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members. One of another. So so if you hear this morning, like, well, what are you talking about? Members one of I believe membership is biblical. Membership is biblical. Now, now there's a lot of hang-up sometimes to membership because because sometimes church wants to build membership and they stress membership more than disciples, right? Membership more than disciple making. I want you to know my first priority as a pastor is to make disciples, but I do believe membership is important because membership officially recognizes, you know what, these are my people. These are my people, and I want to commit to this community of faith. I want to be a part of that. Now, does it have membership dues? No, but there is expectations. That's why we have these things on the wall. There are things that we hope for you. We hope you will grow in your faith, and that's what membership looks like because it looks like a family. Amen? I think membership's cool because we're not talking about structures and buildings. We're talking about family. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this way, he said, The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. We need each other. Years ago, uh, the first church I served at, uh, and I, th- I think I can say this now, I won't use her name, but there was a mom of one of our teenagers, and I was a student pastor there, and uh, she looked at me on several different occasions, had conversations with her, she always looked at me and she said, I really don't need to go to church. She was an inactive church member. I really don't need to go to church. I'm a Christian. I really don't need the church to be a Christian. And I would affirm to her these words. You're absolutely right. You don't need the church to be a Christian, but you do need the church to be a growing Christian. Amen? You can be a Christian and not come to church, but you cannot be an obedient, faithful, growing Christian without being plugged into a faith family. We need the body of Christ for a lot of reasons. Amen? Amen? Number two, when we reject the importance of the church, now again, this is Old Testament context. They're, they're rejecting the importance of the temple. They're, they're, they're not taking care of, they're neglecting it. They're neglecting the, taking care of the priest. They're neglecting the ministry of God in the temple. But now we're going to talk about the church now. When we rege- reject the importance of the church, we will ultimately reject the importance of Christ. Some of y'all are like, I don't understand that. Listen carefully. When we diminish Christ's bride. We diminish Christ. Amen? This bride that Christ has died for and loved, and we can't love it as well, we reject Christ in that sense. We diminish Christ when we diminish his church, his bride. It's important. Uh, Listen, over the last uh, few years, we've recognized that. uh, This week, Jason and I on Monday, we were at the Alabama Baptist Pastors Conference in uh, Shades Mountain, in, in uh, Birmingham and had great preachers. It was so encouraging to be preached to because preachers need to be preached to, right? And sometimes preached at, amen, right? And preached at. And so it was great. It was a great time, but there was this one statistic that just blew me out the water. And I been looking up, but sure enough, there are several surveys that indicate this, but 30%, 30% of pre-COVID church attendance in America has not returned yet. 30%. Is that bothersome? Does that bother you? It bothers me. Like, but preacher, there's reasons that some people haven't turned. I, 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 I get, but I'm not sure they're all valid. I think sometimes we've used those reasons as excuses to being connected to a faith family. Because we need each other. Now, listen, if you're listening right now online you know, like all the preachers talking at me, listen, I do have faces to that 30% because that 30% is reflected even in our fellowship. If you look at our numbers between COVID and right before COVID, 30% is dead on the money. Dead on the money. Now here's what I've also found. There, there, we have lost people in our church. They've gone elsewhere or not gone anywhere. We've also gained people in that sense. It's not the same crowd Y'all don't look the same because you ain't the same people. Some of you are. Thank God there's some, there's some stables. Thank God for you. You're putting up with me for years now. Thank you. But we're different. A side note, uh, I'll always remember the Sunday before Thanksgiving for a couple of reasons. There's a couple of big moments in our life, uh, my family's life, on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Number one, 11 years ago, Sunday before Thanksgiving, I left a very great position. That's not very good. To English, uh, a, a wonderful position at First Baptist Church of Satsuma as an associate pastor of students. Great church, loved us. We were there almost seven years, and because the Lord was calling us, calling me to pastor. Sunday before Thanksgiving, 11 years ago, was my last Sunday at that church. Fast forward three years, eight years ago now, across town, I stood up and preached in two different services across town in view of a call to be a pastor here. Eight years ago. I mean, sometimes it feels like eight days ago. Sometimes it feels like 80 years ago. It depends on the moment, right? But eight years ago, and I have, I have discovered this, that you people are my people. And my people are your people. We're family. I'm thankful for the way that you love each other. And I'm thankful for the way that you love me and my family. And I have been, listen, I have been affirmed this over the last few years, that we need each other desperately. Amen? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The implications of the all the more means that we should see more of each other and spend more time together, not less. In in a church that's beginning to, uh, church rhythms and, and movements and and routines are beginning to less, less, less ministry going on. We got rid of Sunday nights, right? There are some churches that are considering getting rid of some, uh, Wednesday nights. I, I see that the opposite of what the Scripture tells us to do. I see the Scripture tells, hey, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So instead of declining, you know what we should be doing? We should be doing more life Together, that does not mean that we'll become a 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week church. We're always going to have something going on up here because that would terrify the staff. Amen. We like to have family time and sleep every now and then too. Amen. All right, Malachi chapter three. We'll go quickly now. For I, the Lord, God says, I do not change. I'm immutable. That's that big doctrine. Which means I'm unchanging God. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. What is God saying in this, listen, the book of Malachi is a series of, of arguments or disputes. God makes a, an argument against Jer, Jer, the Jews, Jerusalem, and Jerusalem, it's like they have a response back to God. It's like this banter, this conflict. How many of you like conf- confrontation? Anybody like confrontation? You just kind of enjoy it? Some of you are like, yeah, you, but y'all did the Baptist hand. Y'all didn't give the Pentecostal hand, okay? Some of y'all were a little, a little scared to do that, all right? Some of you enjoy that, that like rubbing on each other, and that's, that could be a good thing, right? That's what this is. God says, I got problems with you. All right? And you're lucky that my character's not changed. And I'm still a merciful God. Amen? Let me, let me, uh, let me highlight that character not changed. James chapter 1, verse 17. It says that everything coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to his change. Numbers chapter 23, verse 9 says, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. God is the same. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17, even says of of his purposes. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose. So his character doesn't change, his purpose doesn't change, and listen, and his mercy doesn't change. Earlier, one of the the minor prophets we talked about was Jonah. Y'all remember Jonah? Jonah is like the most famous of the minor prophets. Like, he's, he's the story of me and you because we typically run away from God sometimes, right? You're with me, right? Can you all just say, I'm Jonah. I've been there. I've, 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 run, I've tried. I've run away. I'm Jonah, right? Jonah ran away for one primary reason. You know what the reason was? He didn't really like God's character. He really liked God's mercy, but he really didn't like God to give mercy. And so Jonah chapter four, verse two, it tells us of God's mercy. He says, and he prayed to Lord Jonah. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish for I knew that you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. The preacher says this, the preacher Jonah. He says, I know your character and it's unchanging and you have a reputation for being merciful You know, when God says Malachi chapter 3, it's a good thing I have a reputation for being merciful. Otherwise, all of you, I would smite thee down. It's a good thing. As Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says, but God being rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. Verse 7, Malachi chapter 3. Y'all with me? Say uh uh-huh. I'll go quick. If you can work with me, we'll get over to lunch, Okay. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes, God says, and have not kept them Return to me. That word really is the same word, repent, repent, and then I will then return to you. Now, now God's not saying, I repent and turn to you. He said, but I'm going to come back into a a fellowship with you. So return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Like, what have we done wrong? You ever had an argument with a teenage girl? thought you'd laugh at that. I'm not looking at her right now, but there is no way you can win an argument with a teenage girl. If, you got a, if you're a father of a teenage girl or mother, teen, can I just get a witness, amen, right? You just can't win it, right? Because even if you make a valid argument and you make the point, right, that there's some way that there's going to be the question back, like, but, but I didn't do that, you know? And there's this, this I love you, baby girl. I, she's probably hiding under the chair. I love you. I owe you money now. I didn't even say your name, but I owe you money now. This, this, is, shh, shh. but you say, "How shall we return?" Verse eight. Will man rob God? Uh oh. Will man rob God? And God says, "You are robbing me." But but you say, "How have we robbed you?" Oh no, preacher. You're not going there, are you? Show And your tithes and your contributions. And God says you're a curse with a curse. For you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. So let's back out in the context, okay? And I don't apologize for preaching the text and the the subject here. Because it's very valid to the the historical context. The Jews have neglected the very thing they came back to reestablish. They're neglecting the temple they just rebuilt. They're neglecting the priest. They're they're supposed to be providing tithes and offerings too. They're neglecting what they promised they would not neglect. And, and, And Malachi is saying, hey, God got a problem with that. Because the Old Testament law was very clear of your covenant, listen carefully, responsibilities when it comes to his house and the ministry of his house. I'm thankful. When I preach on biblical stewardship, I'm thankful for this. Um, I love preaching on on biblical stewardship when it's from a position of strength. Our church, you have been so faithful. We're, We're finishing up next two weeks, our church year, financial year, okay? It's weird that we start December 1, go through the last day of November and we're going to hit our budget again. We've been very faithful with that. You've been faithful with that. Church has been good stewards of that. We are in a financial position of strength, and I'm grateful for that. And so I don't have to come to you saying, hey, you know what, church, we're going to pass the plates around as many times as we need to until y'all start. Not going to do that, okay? Praise God, not going to do that, right? Because nobody come back next week, right? But, but I do still feel the biblical obligation to preach on giving because we need to be reminded about this responsibility It's given us in a word. Number three, greed and stinginess. I just use that I like the word stinginess. Are symptoms of a greater problem. Here's the problem with greed and stinginess. It's a wicked heart. It's an ungrateful heart. An ungrateful heart is not a generous giver. But a wicked heart. A wicked heart will not... A grateful heart will be, will be helpful, will see the needs of others and give. But when our heart is compromised, because we are distracted by other things, then we are stingy. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 9-10 says, But those of you who desire to be rich fall into temptation to a snare, and in many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction— I'm going to clarify this. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is not the problem. You know what the problem is? Our heart. When money consumes our heart, that's the problem. When the chief end of man is not to glorify God, enjoy him forever, as what's the chief end of man, according to Westminster Catechism, according to Scripture, if we, if we change that and we make the chief end of man money, then we got a wicked heart. And then we hold on to whatever we got in our hand. Robbie Gallaty said this, God is showing us in this text that you can always determine the pulse of a believer by putting a finger on their pocketbook. You can always determine where a person's heart is by evaluating their bank statements. We may not like to talk about money. Oh, this is good. good. We may not like to talk about money, but money talks a lot about us. Woo! Woo. And both for Israel and for us, our wallets betray us. So Let's talk about biblical stewardship. Oh, number four. Biblical stewardship has two primary, primary premises, okay? Here it is. First of all, everything we have in our possession belongs to God. Can I get a witness? Amen? Everything we have in our possession belongs to God. Premise number one. Premise number two. Everything in our possession is to be used to glorify God right? This sounds so basic, but I feel like we need to be reminded of that. I don't own nothing. I have been loaned out some stuff, amen? And it's been loaned out to me for a reason bigger than me, amen? I am not to be just a consumer. All hail Joey, the great consumer, no. I am to be a conduit. I'm to be a partner with what God's given me. So, you know, when we view finances, money, resources, even our time and our talents that way, you know what happens? Is that our hands get a little less loose and we are more able and willing to take whatever God's put in those hands and do whatever with it. Right? Andrew Murray says, the world asks, what does a man own? But Christ asks, how does he use it? That's biblical stewardship. Now, it's, it's not meant to be, biblical stewardship, practicing it. it's not meant to give you the feel goodies. You know what the feel goodies are, right? Look at me, right? It's meant to, to show your faithfulness to God. Matthew chapter 6 tells us, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward, for your father who's in, no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to needy, Highlight, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. Oh, look at me, I'm giving. Right? Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the nudie, again, assumption you will, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What most of y'all don't know is that we have a, a group of people in our church that are, they have the spiritual gift of giving. And they will show up at our church office every now and then, sit down in my office and say, you know what? The Lord has prompted my heart to give this. I don't want any recognition for it. You know what I see in that? A biblical example of what God's called all of us to be, every one of us. And it has nothing to do with the amount. It has everything to do with obedience to whatever God has put in your hand, whether that be small or large. Amen. That is biblical stewardship. So verse 10, here we go. Malachi chapter three, listen quickly. Y'all ain't listening fast enough. Here we go. Food's next door. I gotta hurry. Bring the full tithe. Uh Uh-oh, preacher, he said tithe. Oh no. The full tithe, that word tithe literally means one-tenth. Literally, it literally defined one-tenth. Full tithe into the storehouse. Is the church the storehouse today? I would argue emphatically yes. Yes, it is the place of the purposes and the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the storehouse. And therefore, thereby put me, God says, to the test, which is contradictory to one other text. He says, he says elsewhere, do not put the Lord your God to the test. But here's the only exception, the only exception. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Number five, tithing is about obedient faith more than money itself. It's about obedient faith more than money itself. It has nothing to do with how many commas and zeros has everything to do with what God has specifically said in his word for us as recipients of grace to give. This is why I said a couple weeks ago, like, the economy is terrible. Can I get a witness? Uh Uh-huh. The economy is terrible. The people sometimes in Washington are clueless, and we're just living through it right now, okay? But that has absolutely no bearing on the command of God for me to tithe and to give. Nothing. Has no reflection on that. Well, preacher, like gas is more expensive. I got it. My Hemi hurts. Every time I put gas in that thing, like I feel it in my heart. You with me? Groceries, man. My son eats 17 snacks every day when he gets home from school. Like seven. Good grief, kid. Groceries are expensive. But God says tithe, full tithe into the storehouse. It's about trusting God more than trusting ourselves. It's about trusting God more than trusting ourselves. So let's talk about the tithe real quickly. Leviticus chapter 27. Here's the biblical command. Leviticus 27 verse 30. Every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy or set apart to the Lord. That ain't yours. It's his. All right? Proverbs 3, 9 to 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the first fruits, you know what tithe is not? Tithe is if I have money left over at the end of the month, then I'll give it to God. By the way, that's not a tithe. You all know that? Tithe is the first tenth. The first fruits. Then there's a problem. Your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Hold oh, it's okay, Babs. Calm down, Okay. Now, this is this just an Old Testament principle, pastor? Like, isn't it just an Old Testament thing? And I would argue emphatically, no, because Jesus blew up Old Testament religiousness. But Jesus affirms the tithe. Matthew 23, verse 23. I'm going to show you. He's blowing up the Pharisees and the religiousness. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, and hypocrites. For you tithe, mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Listen carefully. These you ought to have done. If the tithe is no longer applicable to the New Testament church, Jesus would have said, stop tithing, it's stupid. He said, these you ought to have done without neglecting the other. So Jesus didn't stop the tithe. Jesus actually affirms the tithe, which makes us all very uncomfortable today, doesn't it? Preacher. I don't know how I can make it without, without that extra. Listen, I have found this to be true. If I don't give the tithe, I won't make it with 100%. But God can do more with my 90 or my 85 or whatever than I could ever do with 100%. Because God's not looking at my bank account. He's looking at his riches. Amen? Amen. John Piper said this giving in a regular, discipl- a disciplined, way, generous way up to and beyond the tithe is simply good sense in view of the promises of God. It makes more sense to give than not give. And this is why we can read in Luke chapter 6, verse 38 give and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over it, it'll be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. Does that mean like God's obligated to make me a millionaire, billionaire, Elon Musk? No! No, but guys, listen, God will bless obedient faith every time. Every time. Let's go on. I got to be quick. Verse 11, Malachi chapter 3. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will no longer destroy the fruits of your soil. Here's this blessing. And your vine, the fields will not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations... Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delights as the Lord of hosts. Number six. Almost there. Our stewardship either highlights the gospel of Jesus Christ or it undermines the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our stewardship, how we manage everything put into our hands from our time, our talent, and our money... Either says, I trust God, I, I, I believe that he will take care of me, I have placed the full weight of my faith in him. Or it says, you know what, I think I am more capable of handling every nuance of my life than God is. Whoa! be careful. Be careful. Stewardship either says, you know what, I am walking in obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ, or I'm walking in, in, in contradiction. The gospel of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He what? Oh, that sounds like God's a giver. Just saying. Spurgeon said it's beyond the realm of possibility that one has the ability to outgive God. You can't do it. Anne Frank said no one has ever become poor by giving. No, in fact, the opposite is true. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna stop our text right there because I think that 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 blesses right to that point. It's, it's hard preaching giving because most of us most of us struggle in this application. It's hard preaching pocketbook because most of us are looking at a fixed budget. It's hard talking about tithing because most of us most of us have seen the worst of times, right? But that does not omit God's word from a command to tithe and to give. To dis- the, the disciple people to be good stewards of every single thing God has put in our hands. There's a lot of things I want our church to be known for. You're gonna hear a little bit more about that in just a minute at Thanksgiving lunch. If you'll give me like five minutes there, I'm gonna get to, I gotta tell some exciting no, news to you, okay? But one thing I want our, our our church to be known for is I want our church to be known as a giving church, a giving church, a church that just wants to help anybody and everybody that they possibly can help. The church that gets the reputation for being that church, not to be abused. But the people will see the love of Jesus Christ in you, and they will want that same love. I want want us to be known as a giving church. And until we are, we will not reach this community with the gospel of Jesus. Number seven, number last, I'm done, line the plane, final approach. Here's our emphasized attribute. God is our provider. He's referenced as the Jehovah Jireh, meaning God is our provider. He cares for his own out of his riches and according to his good purposes. Here's what the premise of biblical stewardship is. That as I obey God, as I'm obedient with the few things, God will put more and trust more into my hand. That may not be money. But that may be opportunity, gospel opportunity puts in our hands. But if I'm not faithful with a few things, why would God bless me with more things? Amen. He cares if I his own, out of his riches, and according to his good purposes. So let me, let me finish with 2 Corinthians 9. Paul says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? Cheerful giver. Today, we are just about to have an invitation, and then we're going to pass the plates for the first time in three years. The first time in three years, we'll begin passing plates again. I have a dream that the most joyful moment in our church is the invitation and the offering because they reflect a heart and life that's been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word that calls us to not neglect the church, not neglect the house of the Lord, not neglect gospel obedience to giving. Lord, help us to be good stewards of everything. Lord, from the, the talents and abilities to our time and our, our schedule, Lord, to our bank account, Lord, help us to be cheerful givers. Lord, help us give not with the question of, uh, uh, of how much can I give, uh, but Lord, how much do you want us to give? And the Lord, you will bless that in our life. Lord, help me as a pastor to lead our folks to be a giving church. Thank you, Lord for the gospel of Jesus. It's about giving. Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't have a relationship with God through Christ, Lord, let them repent of their sin, place their full way of their trust in Christ and be saved today. Lord, build your church, build your kingdom, lead us to confession and repentance. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me as we have a time of commitment?